talking to, then they'll give us a talking to. Hello, and welcome to Bright Lights Big Data, a podcast about people, places, and data. I'm your data host, Tammy Armstrong. And I'm your planning host, Mike Armstrong. And we're excited to have Rob Sand here in the studio today running for state auditor. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Rob, and welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, here on Bright Lights Big Data, we ask our guests all the questions that you wish you knew but were too embarrassed to ask. They're the same five questions every time. So without further ado, let's get started. Question number one, Rob, what is the state auditor role and, and how did you get to this point? Good question. You would be surprised how often I hear people ask me on the campaign trail, what does the state auditor do anyway? <laughs> really simple answer. There's basically two parts to the job. One, audits. And you would want to have, obviously, people with CPAs and accounting degrees in the office for that. Two, though, is investigations. Mm. This office is actually responsible for almost all of the public corruption investigations in Iowa, mm. and yet they don't have anyone on staff with a law enforcement background. Interesting. It's yeah, one of the, on the Yeah, website. which is one of the <laughs> biggest reasons I wanted to run. I know that the office would be better off with a balance. Uh, as to how I got to this point... I was the chief public corruption prosecutor in the attorney general's office over the last decade and worked a lot with this office. And so I knew the people that are in there, very much like them, love working with them. They are very smart, very passionate, very talented. But it's like a football team with 11 quarterbacks on offense. <laughs> Even if they are all Hall of Fame quarterbacks, you will not get the best outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. I, I, I'm really excited about the office because I think it needs that professional balance. And mm -hmm. I got here from doing a lot of public corruption investigation. I was at the AG's office eight years prior to that in law school at Iowa. And prior to that, college at Brown. Prior to that, grew up in Decor, Iowa. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and we um, previously had Jamie Fitzgerald, Polk County Auditor, on the show. Uh, and oh, good. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Similar titles, but really quite different jobs. Yeah. No election. Yeah, the like. legislature and its infinite wisdom, as lawyers <laughs> like to joke, uh, when they created the role of county auditor and state auditor, um, took all the voting work and handed it to the Secretary of State's office instead. So there's a little overlap, but not that much. Um, yeah. So as you said, a lot of people, you know, don't really know fully what the state honor does. What are some common misconceptions about the role? I think the most common misconception, which is a misconception because my opponent is trying to convince everyone of this, <laughs> is that it has to be someone who's a CPA. Literally three, possibly four, state auditors in Iowa's history since 1846 have ever been a CPA. <laughs> That's it. We've had a farmer. We've had a realtor. We've had an attorney before. We've had a school superintendent. We've had many businessmen. It is a role that people from all walks of life have held, and all of them have managed to get us to the point where we're, you know, still getting things done today. Mm -hmm. My opponents out there, though, telling people, oh, you've got to have a CPA. You're going to outsource all of the audits to CPA firms. Well, even three Republican county attorneys have said that's not true, hmm. uh, as well as a former county attorney who's also a former Republican Party of Iowa chair. Mike Mahaffey. So it's a common misconception, I think, becoming less common because I'm out there working harder and hitting more counties and airing more TV commercials than my <laughs> opponent and educating Iowans on the fact that although it's fine to have a CPA as your state auditor, it is not, in fact, required. And if that CPA thinks that only people with an accounting background should work in that office, it might actually be a detriment. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, really kind of, like you said, overstaffing on, on yeah. one part of the auditor. Right. I mean, job. why would you not want balance? You know, they, they tend, her, her rebuttal to that is, oh, well we, well, we call law enforcement officials when we need them. But here's mm-hmm. the thing, unless you're a law enforcement official or a professional, you're not always going to know when you need to call yeah. off enforcement and professional. Mm-hmm. And so I have seen uh, decisions get made and in investigations that harm our ability to hold people accountable later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not because the people that work under the state auditor are not intelligent. They are. It's not because they're not passionate. They are. It's just because you need to have somebody on that team every single day mm-hmm. that is looking at it saying, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Here's my perspective, and this is why we need to do that differently. Yeah, and I would assume that financial crimes, prosecution, corruption is, you know, kind of different from CPA type of work. Right. You know, it's a, it's a right. related but different skill set. Yeah, so. exactly. And that's, and that's the biggest thing of it. I think you want to have people just who can work together, who come at it from different angles, because then you're going to be covering it from different angles and making sure that everything's covered. Great. Moving right along, question number three, why should the community care about the state auditor's role? I have so many people tell me after they have an opportunity to hear me that they never imagined that they would be so excited about the state (laughs) auditor's race. And that is awesome because I am really excited about it. This office, and you will really appreciate this, this office has the ability, if you have someone running it who wants to, it has the ability to make efficiency recommendations for every audit they do every year. Nice. That's an annual audit of all of Iowa's 99 counties. That's an annual audit of many, many, many hundreds of Iowa's cities and towns. And yet they don't do it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is bonkers because it's not <laughs> like that. It's not like every uh, city or every county has different things that would make it efficient. There are best practices out mm-hmm. there uh, that can be adopted by cities and counties that would make them all more efficient. And really, it could be as simple as putting together a checklist. Mm-hmm. Putting together mm-hmm. a checklist. Hey, do you guys do this? Do you guys do that? Uh, single stream versus dual stream waste collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott County just switched from dual stream to single stream. They're going to save $2.5 million over seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. At the county <laughs> level, that is right. big yeah. bucks, right? That's a lot of bike trails. Yeah. <laughs> it would be sweet to have that money sitting around to do something else with it. Or if you want, fine, tax mm-hmm. cut, whatever, you know? But they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Slight sidebar. Does that mean like recycling doesn't work as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't so, really know what dual so, stream versus So dual stream <laughs> would be, well, one example for a way to explain this would be, there are still communities in Iowa where when you're recycling, you separate your cardboard, your glass, your plastics, and your metal. When you require people to do that, more people do not do it yeah. because they do not want to take the time. And they probably do it wrong. If and they, they probably don't. do it wrong <laughs> is, is issue number two, right? So you have to re-separate it later mm-hmm. and you have a lower participation rate. When you tell people, hey, put all your recycling here, then more people participate, which means, guess what? More of that commodity, recyclable goods, is actually being collected by your municipality or your county, which means they have more raw materials to sell to recyclers. The county makes or the city makes more money because they're collecting more of those recyclables. They also only have to sort at one time at the very end rather than resorting and resorting, which means the process is more efficient. It's just kind of a great thing. Scott County just made the switch. Iowa City just made the switch. But this and so many other ideas are ideas that should have been taken to every county and every city mm-hmm. a long time ago <laughs> by the office that's supposed to be sort of like the management consultant to local and county government in Iowa, who's there to make sure you're running lean and mean. Right. Yeah. And yet they just don't really do it right now. Yeah. 
Uh, even by, so we've had a dispute as to how often they make efficiency recommendations. By my count, it's less than half of 1% of the time. Oh, wow. Even if you give my, use my opponent's count, mm-hmm. it's like 25% of the time. Well, as a data nerd, I love opportunities for efficiencies and improvements. <laughs> yeah. So that's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so our fourth question, what are you most excited about should you take office? I hate to say it, but I think I think the efficiency piece of it is it. Mm-hmm. And I, so I almost kind of already answered that. <laughs> I'm, I really, because here's the thing. Uh, criminal prosecution, the work that I was doing at the Attorney General's office, is fundamentally really dark. Mm-hmm. It's super depressing. Yeah. Even my best day in the office, let's say I'm getting someone sent to prison for stealing a quarter million bucks. Good. You ought to go to prison if you steal a quarter million bucks. Mm-hmm. But if you have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old at home, mm-hmm. like no one's clicking their heels. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old at home, you're somebody's son or daughter. Yeah. You know, it's all darkness. There is no winning. Mm-hmm. And, and this office, the reason that campaign slogan is wake up the watchdog is because I really think if we could get it doing more for Iowans, it could be a place where we could really have a positive impact. Yeah. And so I look at it and I think I could actually wake up every day and get excited about doing good things for the state as opposed to just mitigating bad things. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to, if I was going to answer that question in a different way, like what am I fundamentally most excited about it? I guess, honestly, the bigger question and the bigger answer is the opportunity to do good instead of just mitigate bad. Yeah. Because for someone like me, like I am an optimist. I do think we can solve problems. Mm -hmm. And this office gives you a chance to do that every day when you walk into it. It's a really interesting distinction for your kind of mental health and well-being to kind of be able to look at that positive yeah. versus always focusing on the negative. Yeah, one of the things we I all could run into yeah, in our day to day. I should have thought about that before I went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> Lawyers are literally like litigating, like something terrible happened. Now we're going to have an argument about how we, you know, yep. remedy it. But the remedy is never as good as the prevention, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but in the latest episode, they literally just had a musical number where someone um, used to be a lawyer and then opened up a pretzel stand and it has a musical number like, don't be a lawyer. I should watch that because uh, every time I talk to college students and uh, or high school students, you know, they seem to be a little bit quieter. And so I broaden the conversation beyond politics. You can ask me anything, you know. Career choices, what you should study, why you shouldn't go to law school is one of my go-tos. And if anybody takes me up on it, I always am really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome, though. Like, for the MPO, we work with a lot of very small towns with counties. We hear again and again about budget constraints. So, like, any gains you can make Mm -hmm. and then get turned around and used for whatever that city, county really needs. Right. You know, everybody can make use of those efficiency gains. Yeah. 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 And a lot of times quality of life projects like that are things that really do have a positive impact on people's lives. And they're not usually that resource intensive. Mm -hmm. It, It is the kind of thing that you can, if you can find savings somewhere, you can say, look. Here's a bucket of money. Let's go do that thing. And then it'll always be there and we can all always enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I take a bike ride with my kids most mornings. I have a bicycle that will fit three children nice. in addition to me, <laughs> which is awesome. Super efficient. Because yeah. then my wife actually gets enough time to go run by herself. So everybody loves it. I get quality time. While I'm getting my exercise, the more children we add, the bigger they get, the harder the workout is. Yeah. So it's like win, 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 win. Yeah. But you know, we're biking around trails when we do that. And those trails, because they're there, 
are something that's going to give us an opportunity to bond and it's just going to leave an indelible imprint in my kids' minds as well as in my experiences with them that we get to ride around on these trails and enjoy the city that we live in together. Yeah. I also just love the positive energy around all of this. Yeah. Nobody gets excited when they hear about an audit coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But a lot of, you know, for public sector, like for the governments, like there's a lot of very positive things that can come out of it. Right. Um, Right. Largely, you're looking to help make them run better and do the things mm-hmm. that they want to do better and right. be able to do more things. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the more they can do, especially at the county and the local level, really the better people will appreciate mm-hmm. what their government does for them. A little yeah. more like partnership rather than Exactly. And we still have that part of kind of, you know, yeah. auditing is auditing. But what, I, but what I like to say when I'm talking to local and county officials is they have always come and they have poked at you. I will <laughs> poke you, but I will also be a partner. Yeah. It's a poke in a partnership. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to close us out, the most important question of the night, what should we have for dinner tonight? Uh, Oh, you know what? You can't, well, if you can get Grubhub to deliver it. Have you guys had the broasted chicken at Miller High Life Lounge? No. I have not. Oh, guys. (laughs) I didn't know they were on Grubhub. I don't know if they are either. That's the problem here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I... When I thought of saying that, because it's usually like, if I can just go anywhere in Des Moines, I really like the Miller High Life Lounge. Do you have a date night coming up? The okay. The parents are in town. Oh, so sweet. Maybe make there you go. Work. I would also highly recommend the Bacon Rock Pater Tots. Surely you've had oh, those. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And you can order Tang there. Tang. Which always, that. Which always makes me think that I'm at my, uh, the home of my best friend from high school, Andy Rasmussen, because his mom always made Tang. So it's kind of a fun uh do you get a little Blast champagne the in past. there? Little... No, not, not a drinker. So Tang for me is getting wild. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to do it. Good luck on the campaign trail. Thanks. And we're back. Thanks again to Rob Sand for coming out and doing an interview with us. It was really interesting just how different state auditor is from county auditor. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. learned about county auditor. I'm like, all right, I'm getting a hand on this. Like, it's just going to be at the state level. I can guess what a state auditor does. No. no, no. Um, so that was really good to get that perspective as well. Uh, another one of those on the ballot that uh, mm-hmm. hopefully now you know a little bit more about and why it matters. Yeah. That was certainly a shorter interview, Mm -hmm. and so we thought we'd take this chance to wrap up our problem-solving series. So why don't you take us through that? Yeah, so we've gone through a lot of steps so far, and and yeah, I think we're ready to be done (laughs) with this series. So the final step in the problem-solving cycle, as I think of it, you know, we've talked about problem statement and exploring data and data collection, not necessarily in that order, and modeling. And I'm going to go ahead and just assume that modeling that step also included kind of validating your results and refining and kind of getting to the solution that you want. So today, we kind of want to talk about the final step of really implementing a recommendation. So making and implementing a recommendation. And so I think this is a good time to talk about data visualization and data storytelling, which are both, I think, less appreciated parts of the process. And they can often go hand in hand. And and I think data visualization is a really good way of getting your point across to an audience. You know, you've got a lot of complex information that you've sifted through in your process. And now it's down to getting the most important information from that 
to your audience, which at least in my world is often through something like a PowerPoint presentation. And I, I think this is kind of an interesting area because I think a lot of people tend to share the pain of how they got to the recommendation and they sort of go through chronological order of basically everything we've talked about so far, right? Like, well, first we had to understand what the problem was and that was really hard. And we talked to these people and we thought it was gonna be this problem, turns out it wasn't. And then we reframed. Nobody cares about that, right? Right, the important thing is you're not telling your story, you're telling the kind of story of the data or the recommendation. Yeah, so you've got to trim it down to what that particular audience, and I know you've got more on that as well, but what that particular audience needs to know to understand what you're telling them, uh, what you're recommending, or maybe a couple of recommendations that you'd like them to pick between or think more about. And your recommendation could be do more work in this area, but it's still, there's some action you want them to take and you need to give them enough information to make an informed decision there without boring them to tears or maybe even forcing them to do the analysis themselves. As an analyst, nobody's paying me to put together a bunch of data and say, now you do something with it. That's just not fair to that audience. And and a, a lot of times you might only have like five minutes with them, right? So you, you kind of have to pare it down. It's, it's a huge topic that we won't be able to get through in just the minutes that we have here today. For more on this, I would recommend the work of Cole Nussbaumer Naflick, who runs the website Storytelling with Data. Uh, she's got also a book and a podcast, which for somebody who specializes in data visualization, I think is really interesting that she's actually able to portray that through just audio. Yeah, that's <laughs> which impressive. Is is a really interesting talent and a really interesting way to kind of box yourself in. And and sometimes you have to do that, right? Your slide deck breaks or <laughs> you still need to be able to tell your story. But I, I often do see people kind of share that pain, fall short of making an actual recommendation and just say, well, we did all this and here's a bunch of numbers, every possible way you could slice and dice it. Now, what do you think we should do next? And at that point, you're really just kind of a, a spreadsheet versus an analyst. And so I think that that's a really important area. And I think one of the reasons that people shy away from going all the way to a recommendation is that it feels like number one, it's not on them to make the decision, it's on the business stakeholders. And number two, I think there's a fine line between sort of simplifying information and cherry picking or obscuring information and saying, well, this is what I want you to see, so I'm not gonna show you everything else. And you're necessarily getting rid of things when you're focusing on other things or you're maybe downplaying other points. And that's where you kind of have to have some intellectual honesty about it. But I think that there are lots of ways to do that and understand your audience and the kinds of questions that they might ask to pick apart what you've done um, so that you, you don't give that sense that you're cherry picking. Right. I mean, your decision makers want to be able to feel really good about mm -hmm. the decision they're going to make. Yep. And part of that is coming in with an actual recommendation mm -hmm. and maybe some alternatives with, you know, some pros and cons with mm -hmm. each or what mm -hmm. the trade-offs are. But it's the same way of when you're trying to pick what restaurant you're going to go to. <laughs> if you are talking to your partner and you're just like, well, I just kind of feel it this way. And I'm like, uh, here are, you know, there's 30 options. And then you start picking, going through like, well, what about this? And it's like, nah, not th like, <laughs> but if you can come in, come in strong and be like, these are the things that I'm into. Mm -hmm. 
here's maybe three options. Right. right. At least tell me why you don't want option number 20 out of the 30, and let's right. get to a constructive conversation about this, rather than, I guess, we're eating cereal again tonight. Because <laughs> the big thing is, um, the point of this analysis is to take away some of the vagaries of mm -hmm. decision-making. Mm -hmm. If we can say strongly, here's what we learned, here's the path forward that the data is telling us, here's what we see, and how it can affect the business, your decision makers can still apply their knowledge and experience mm -hmm. and maybe tweak some of it or mm -hmm. ask leading questions to make sure that it's fully vetted. But you want to give them a clear path yeah. through there. And we see that a lot as well. I mean, when you go to your board or a city council to make a proposal, like, you know, I'm sure for a lot of bigger decisions, it's the same way for like the C-suite mm. at a corporation is that they're going to have to explain that decision to other people in the future. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to maybe oh, yeah. defend that decision oh, yeah. in the future. So they want to be really clear on why we're doing this, mm -hmm. that you've answered all of these questions mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, they have a good handle on it. And bonus, if they feel confident in you making right. that recommendation in the first place, that can, that can go really far too. Because I think we've sort of implied this through a lot of the discussion, but this should never be the first time that you've brought this up to your general stakeholder group, right? right? I think this especially comes up with maybe students right out of school. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make the most amazing model. I'm gonna do the most incredible math and they won't have any choice but to see that it's the best thing to do. And number one, that's naive to think that you can come up with something just by yourself without getting that business input because there's always something that you didn't think about that's going to completely undercut your recommendation. And number two, nobody <laughs> likes that feeling of being talked down to and told that like, well, I'm the expert in math, so you're going to do what I tell you to do. You know, it, you're going to be a lot more successful if you bring your stakeholders along and check in with them and get that buy-in earlier before you're just kind of trying to <laughs> have a shark tank moment and tell them on the spot, you know, that's it's not going to go very well. Right. Because again, for a lot of these, the decision makers are the ones who are going to have to bear the responsibility for mm -hmm. that choice. And nobody likes trying to make a big decision off the cuff. Mm -hmm. So let them warm up to it. Let them hear about it. Take some time to think of what are some other questions that I might have. Like for an elected official, they can take some time to be like, what kind of questions are going to come from my constituents? Mm -hmm. What do I need to know to feel good about this decision that may not have been covered? Or what are some things happening in my ward that may not have been part of the process just mm -hmm. because they're a lot of times better connected to mm -hmm. um, the people in their district or the people in their department um, that you're proposing this change for. Well, it's so complex. You can't master it all. There's the time-bound nature of it too, right? For your work, the time between when you did your community engagement and when something might actually go into place, you know, things could happen. Issues can arise. News stories can happen. And, and you need to adjust and have good partners on that. Yeah. Um, so as you said, it's important to think about your audience. Mm -hmm. And for planning, a lot of times, you have many different audiences. And again, I would imagine it's the same for you. Mm -hmm. Of There is that big meeting where you're mm -hmm. trying to get approval from your board or from city council. But it's, again, kind of short-sighted if 
That's the only (laughs) audience that you're driving for. (laughs) Being able to tell versions of that story in different venues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Ingersoll Avenue redesign a ways back where they went from four lanes to three lanes, added the bike lanes. There are still some things that could be improved on there, but at the end of the day, crashes have gone down significantly. Serious injuries and fatalities have gone down significantly, yet it's still able to move the same number of people through Mm -hmm. there. So all of their kind of top priorities, they were able to do that. But there was no effort put into telling the story after the fact Mm. to the larger public. Um, So a lot of council members may know sort of the statistics behind it. But, you know, I've gone to other parts of the metro for different projects. And you hear people citing Ingersoll as a reason not to do something. (laughs) You know, it's it's so congested that nobody wants to go there, which Mm. by itself is an oxymoron. (laughs) Um, And there's always that difference that we've talked about before, like the reason for analysis is that perception and reality can be different. But if you want to be able to do similar projects in the future, if you want to be able to apply what you've learned from this project to the next project, you also need to sort of tie off that story. Like, you Mm -hmm. need to have that narrative carried all the way through um, and be able to communicate that Mm -hmm. as you're moving forward. You can't just, well, the project's done. We don't need to think about it anymore. Would you say that implementation is kind of one of the things where you most learn the hard way? Because I, I do. Like, you know, coming into a business early on, not knowing who all the players are, and you get those questions like, well, did you check this with legal and compliance? oh, no, I didn't know I should do that. Well, I'm not going to do that next time, you know? Like, I'm going to be better at that. It definitely can be. I mean, one of the things, like, we've gone through this whole process is that if you don't have a good process, you don't have a good product. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so if your process wasn't that great, and if you're not telling that story as you move through and continuing to communicate and evaluate, the implementation is where you can get into kind of a reactive crisis mode. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought we did all of this engagement. We communicated with the neighborhood that we were going to change this street running through their neighborhood. And as soon as, you know, the workers show up on their street, (laughs) that's when they're going to have the really strong opinions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, as we've said before, it's really hard to find time out of your day to basically volunteer, to go to a public meeting to talk about something that's going to happen a year from now. Mm -hmm. That's so difficult. And even if you kind of know what's happening, it's not real to you until you start to see, like, oh, like, they took away parking on my street, and, oh, my goodness, like, my parents are coming in, like, where are they? Like, (laughs) I don't have enough room in my drive, like... I wanted to go for a jog, and now all corners of this intersection are under construction. (laughs) So, again, if you haven't had a good process and for implementation, if you haven't carried through that narrative so that you can quickly and comfortably respond to questions, Mm -hmm. the decision makers feel confident in the decision and can be like, I understand that's a frustration. Here's why we did it. Here's sort of the schedule for it. Mm -hmm. It'll be wrapped up in three months and this is how it works, and this is the benefit that you will get. Um, As much as, you know, a staff member deals with some of that, and, you know, that's kind of a lot of their roles, it has to come all the way from the top as well. They Mm -hmm. have to feel comfortable and willing to Mm -hmm. defend it. Yeah, and especially in your case, if you're dealing with electeds, 
they have to think about the next election cycle, right? Is this going to be the story their opponent brings up? It really impacts their future in that position. Yeah, and again, it's one of those difficult things of, for transportation especially, a lot of the things that we're doing are, this is going to provide these benefits over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Elections are not 20 years apart. Right. And for almost anything, there's a lot of friction at the beginning of a major mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. It's just how people are. So suddenly my daily habit in the morning has to be changed, and I'm going to be unhappy about that just because it feels chaotic and I had my route nailed down and when mm-hmm. I had to leave, and now it's got to put a lot more thought and like restart yes. this process it's kind of a, um, a burden when yeah. a lot of times like if you can get through the first six to 12 months and people acclimatize to it a lot of times they will never want to go back like it's so much mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it really is an improvement but in that transition phase yeah it, there's a lot of pitfalls change is hard yep <laughs> so i think the the next important part for implementation we've talked about the people making the decision. Now let's talk a little bit about who has to carry it out. Mm -hmm. So you have a recommendation that you want to make to the department heads. Great presentation, well done, (laughs) well prepared, perfect storytelling. They're all like, this is great, we're going to do this. The VP of customer service is not going to be the one in the weeds changing the process, making those difficult changes. Mm Mm-hmm. Third day is not going to change too much mm-hmm. based on this. So you also have to look at whose day-to-day is this mm-hmm. and can you remove some of the barriers that may prevent them from carrying out this recommendation. Yeah, maybe an extreme example of that was, we were just talking about this earlier, the um, the clerk who basically, after their same-sex marriage was legalized, refused to approve marriage licenses for same-sex couples. Obviously what she was doing was illegal, but just an extreme example of how if the person who's actually executing doesn't agree, they can be a fundamental barrier yeah. to change. So for the East Grand Protected Bike Lane, there was a lot of communication with the community and with city council to try this out. What was really fantastic about that whole process is they also went and talked to Public Works and be Yay. like, here's how you're going to snowplow this. <laughs> nice. Right? It's not yeah. enough that we just have mm-hmm. it. If it's not going to function after it's implemented because you didn't follow through on it, mm-hmm. everyone's going to have a bad experience. You're going to tear mm-hmm. it out and not do it again. Mm-hmm. So you got to talk to who has to deal with it on the ground, whose day are you changing, and helping address some of those barriers for them because... Mm-hmm. They're already super busy. They're not going to be able to take the time to say, all right, let's ignore all this other work we're doing and figure out how we're going to make our work more difficult in the mm-hmm. short term as we figure this all out and then do this. Yeah. yeah, it's great when you can have a culture of doing things with people rather than to people. I don't know. I find it, it kind of gives you those warm fuzzies of like, yeah, we, we did this right, <laughs> you know. There's a, I don't know if you use this, Cypos. It's like a process improvement framework that I learned about somewhat recently, and I'm going to butcher what it stands for, but it's something like stakeholders, inputs, processes, outputs, and maybe stakeholders again or something like that. You know, through a framework like that, you would kind of catch the the sort of public works things, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. maybe you're not because that's sort of a second order impact, Um, but I don't know. So that kind of wraps up what we have today and 
for now on this sort of problem-solving process. Mm -hmm. I can see us in the future taking a deeper dive on a very specific topic. Mm -hmm. If people are interested or something relevant is happening sort of in the world around us, that we can talk as a specific example. So so here's an instance of data visualization or storytelling gone wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, or something like that. Where, so many of those, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, we can dive a lot deeper on something mm-hmm. specific. But mm-hmm. for now, we've kind of closed this off and talking about some potential avenues for the future. We're going to keep doing the interviews, still looking at elected officials and sort of those city, county, statewide positions that we need to learn more about what they do. But we're also thinking ahead about community leaders or nonprofits that also have a major Mm -hmm. impact on our city, our neighborhood, greater Des Moines. So we might expand out as we go of who we're pulling in. So if you know somebody you'd like to hear from or about their organization and what sort of role they play, we'd be happy to hear from you about that. We've also been talking a little bit about looking into planning and analysis in pop culture. Yeah. So we've been watching The Good Place, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Fork and great. Fork and great. But (laughs) this is an example of sort of a created Mm -hmm. heaven. Yeah. And it's, they had to choose a urban form for it. Like, Mm -hmm. what does that community look like? Yeah. They have a system about how you get into heaven. <laughs> they have a model. <laughs> they have a model. They have sort of a process of analysis, and there's a lot to talk about um, from our perspectives, and we think it would be really fun. Yeah. So that'll give you an idea of where we're going in the future. Please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. For the latest on upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at BLBDPod and like our Facebook page, Bright Lights Big Data. Uh, We'd always love to hear from you, so send us your questions on Facebook or Twitter, or you can also email us at brightlightsbigdata at gmail.com. And uh, who knows, we might even answer your questions in a future episode. Mm -hmm. So thanks again for listening. This has been Bright Lights, Big Data. Until next time. Bye.